I mean, my formula has always been get your foot in the door and figure it out after. It's always been like, if you can't get your foot in the door, you're not going to get started. It's always been, don't wait for the right time. Don't wait till you have enough experience. Ready, fire, aim. Welcome back to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. My name is Mike Flynn, and I am honored to be your host. Our mission here on the Impact Entrepreneur Show is not just to inspire you, but also to help you tap into and begin to believe in your God-given potential and purpose. That's right, baby. We want you to not only be inspired, but experience breakthrough. And we do that on this podcast by interviewing incredible people who are using their experiences, their skill set, their platforms to have a game-changing impact in the lives of others. And here's the thing. None of these folks are simply sitting back, living a life of leisure. They have things to do, places to go, and lives to impact. Speaking of that, Jesse Itzler is the husband to his wife, Sarah, the father to his four children, a son to his mother and father, and a friend to many. He is also a former rapper, an entrepreneur, and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Living with a Seal, 31 Days Training with the Toughest Man on the Planet. It might seem like an odd resume to some, but Jesse doesn't fit anyone else's box or allow anyone else to write his script. He's here to write the script for his own life. When Jesse started in the music business, he had no experience and zero connections. When he got into private aviation, he had no airplanes, but that did not stop him from getting on the Billboard 100 or writing the New York Knicks theme song. That didn't stop him from co-founding Marquee Jet, the world's largest private jet card company, which he has since sold to Berkshire Hathaway, which is now known as NetJets. Jesse says we shouldn't wait for the right time to try something. We should just do it. Just get our foot in the door and figure it out after. And Jesse took a similar just-do-it approach to writing both of his books, first Living with the Seal and now Living with the Monks. His first book helped him hone his physical body by jumping feet first into one of the most intense training regimens on the planet. His most recent book, Living with the Monks, has helped him explore the spiritual side of life and get more in touch and in balance with time. Living with the monks felt like a struggle for Jesse at first, but by the end, it reinforced that he wants to live life by putting as many experiences on his plate and his family's plate as possible. Want to live life full blast like Jesse? Well, he challenges all of us to put one thing on our calendar that seems so hard, so unachievable, that the benefit of the challenge will last the entire year. As usual, this is a rich conversation, so bust out your pens and paper, take some notes, and brace for impact. Jesse Itzler, welcome to the Impact Entrepreneur Show. Super pumped to have you on the show and to hear your story and to share what you are up to with my audience. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. On your Instagram page, the first sentence under your picture is building my life resume. So what job are you applying for? <laughs> <laughs> Trying to master uh, the one life that I've, I have. <laughs> That's the whole thing. I'm really not applying for any job. I'm trying to just write my own script Mm -hmm. as opposed to having my script being written for me. When did that awareness... Have you always been that way? I think a lot of people 
rely on having their script written for them. When did you break away from that? Well, I'm an I'm an adrenaline junkie, so I'm a, I'm a newness freak. I love the honeymoon period. I get bored easily, and that's always been the. I guess I guess that's really the definition of ADD. <laughs> I, I like to think I like to call it adventurous, but maybe it's just ADD. <laughs> um, no, I I think I've always been like that. I've always had that. You know, I love the thrill of starting something new and seeing if I can do it. And that's you know, I guess that's really the basic DNA of an entrepreneur, but I've had it early on. I just realized that I like taking chances and either being rewarded or failing. Mm -hmm. And uh, that became somewhat addicting, you know, early on. And I've just been riding it ever since. So how do you push through the crap and the, the trough to get through to finishing? Well, I think I always start with the end game Usually, not always in in my head. So I'll have the end of the movie, which is my, the movie being my goal mm-hmm. in my head. And you know, the script changes a lot, but the goal and the end of the movie never changes. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of been my formula. Mm-hmm. And then, and when you think like that, it's like no matter what, this is going to be the outcome I want. Then when the obstacles come, you just go through them, go around them, deal with them, or whatever. I mean. And they happen all the time, but you're unwavering around what the finish line looks like. Mm, I love that. I love that. You know, it's obvious that you have uh, that this bit has been something that's ingrained in you from a very young age. And and when I was preparing for our conversation today, I was on your Instagram profile and I was looking at some of your pictures and I saw this just endearing picture of you and your mom, you hugging your mom and like holding her head into you and. Uh, I have a really close relationship with my mom as well, and and we're recording this, you know, just after Mother's Day, and so I'd love to learn something you appreciate most about your mother. I think just like probably most people listening that have that had that kind of relationship, just the uh, unwavering support. You know, I mean, there's probably one, you know, your parents, your wife, your sibling. How many people really have that unconditional? you know, really authentically pure, you know, just pure rooting for your best interests. And my mom's always, you know, showed me that you can't fake that. You can't like, that's not something that you can just get through money. You can't like, you know, that's just everything. And I find that as I get older, I still want my mom. Mm-hmm. So I have a, a big decision to make something happen good or bad. I want to share all my successes and all my failures. She's the first call. So outside of my wife, you know, so, so that's really, she just earned that over 49 years of my life, always being there. I can't think of one time ever in 17,000 days. There hasn't been one day, not one where I couldn't call her up or she didn't really genuinely ask me how I felt, how my day was, whatever. And, and, you know, again, coming from a place of just pure love. So, you know, uh, as a parent of four young kids now, I don't remember the, all the 17,000 days I've had so far with my mom, but I definitely remember that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. that's something that, you know, as a parent, there's no manual. It's just, you get that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. A force, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. 
I remember one time when I was a little kid, you know, I was getting bullied. I had a temper and I still do, but I know how to manage it now. Right. But I would get in fights, you know, and I would stand up for myself. And my mom, one day I was getting bullied, you know, been told not to fight. Right. Because right. I was getting myself in trouble. And finally, I remember one day I came home and I was super upset and I was standing in the kitchen. She was by the sink and my mom's from Massachusetts, uh, from Boston. And I was telling her what was going on. And she stopped doing what she was doing in the kitchen. And she looked at me and she said, Mikey, kick his ass. (laughs) 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 You know, she, she, I don't know if she remember that now, but I, it's ingrained in my memory, you know, that, you know, this, this mama bear just, she was like, that is it. I am done. That's really funny. You know? When you think about your mom, like, and you think about her unconditional love and and your adventurous spirit, what was your first failure that you called her about, and how? And what did she say to you? First of all, failure, like to be able to call someone. I didn't have the I like, I didn't have the ability to call my mother till I was like twenty two. You know, like I didn't. Just, oh, like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a different generation. <laughs> but I remember like trying out for a play in sixth grade and. We had an audition and we had to sing. The way they auditioned us for the play is we had to sing the national anthem in front of the class. And four seconds into my audition, the music teacher stopped and asked me if I was serious. <laughs> like I was so bad. Oh, dang. He asked me if I was serious. So that's really how I sang. And I remember going home to my mom and being like, I got the job of the Iranian peddler, <laughs> which is a real character. The Iranian pet was a real character. Oh my God. Anyway, so, you know, which is probably like, this is like the only non-singing role in the whole class. So I remember, and you know, she just gave me the, the, her standard response. Sweetie, just be yourself. I love it. That was fourth grade. What, what, what grade was that? Or no, sixth grade. Sixth, sixth grade. grade. Yeah, okay. Sixth okay. Grade. Yeah. There's something about fourth grade or four, between fourth and sixth grade where teachers just say the most asinine things to kids. True, like, yeah. I mean, teachers, are they're great, and I have so much respect. But sometimes yeah. there's a little, in, you know, just blatant honesty. I mean, she was just being honest. I, <laughs> I know. But she could have just said, she could have said to me, Jesse, you know what? You might be better suited in a different role. Yeah. Yeah, let's figure out what your real talents well, are. Where's your you talent? Your talent's not here, but that's fine. Yeah. You know, right next to your mother on Instagram in that picture is... A picture of Sarah sticking her hands out of your car window because I guess she had sprayed perfume or something and it was yes. really smelly. But sticking with the whole trend of motherhood and, and right after Mother Day, what's the thing you admire most about Sarah as a mother? Oh, wow. Uh, she's a great teacher. Hmm. Recognizes there's a lot of that everything's a teaching opportunity, mm-hmm. especially because we have four kids under the age of eight. So she's just a really good teacher. Mm-hmm. She brings a lot of creativity into the way she teaches our kids, and it's super fun to watch. You know, I think that that's a really that's a superpower because the the fastest way to help people break through any challenge is teaching and showing. And if you're and ultimately that boils down to communication, right? Like being a master communicator, and that's a skill that I'm constantly developing. My wife and I also have four kids. We have uh, yeah, they're twelve, ten. Eight and seven, two girls, two boys, and it you know 
communicating and teaching them, especially what they're capable of, is is really remarkable. And yesterday, my kids competed in this this whole county track meet called the International Games. And all of the schools in the area come to this one high school and they compete in these different games. And it's all fun. And there's definitely winners and losers. And my girls did not win any uh, awards. But you know what? I was so proud of them. They finished. You know, my daughter, her first race, she was running the mile and she fell twice in the mile. And we thought she had injured her ankle, but she had just finished prior to that running the 200 meter and her legs were tired. So she, she came off the track, she rested and her coach was like, you know, you should sit, sit out the rest of the day. You should not push yourself. And she looked at her coach dead in the eyes and said, I'm doing this coach. And she went back in and she did the four by 100 relay. And it was really remarkable to see them push through struggle and achieve right. something. I know because having watched you guys and how you relate with your kids through your Instagram stories and such, I know that, that, that you guys do the same thing. It's funny you should say that because I was talking to my brother on the phone. My son is a swimmer. He's eight. And I was saying, he was asking me how swim season's going. And I said, you know, it's going, it's going well, but my son, his nephew, I was thinking, he just doesn't have that. He's not in, he's a, he's a very good swimmer, but he's not competitive and he's not that into it. And I'm like, it's so frustrating as a parent. And my brother said to me, well, all you really want out of your kids is for them to be happy. And I said, you know, I hear that all the time, but that's not really true. I said, my son would be happy sitting on the couch, eating pizza and ice cream and playing Minecraft. <laughs> if he could sit on the couch all day and eat pizza, watch movies, play Minecraft, and then get Pinkberry, he'd be the happiest kid in America. And that's not what I want. I said, like, what I want is for him to realize his potential and things that he likes, you know, mm -hmm. and try his hardest. Like, I want him to be happy, of course, but I want him to be happy because he's like reached the best that he could be in the things that he does. Mm -hmm. I think there's a difference between being happy and being fulfilled. There, yeah. What is you it? Know? <laughs> well, it's being happy is sitting on the couch eating pizza and watching movies right. being fulfilled is realizing that you started something. It sucked in the middle and you finished it. You know, like, dude, I, I think about this. I, I think, did you watch the winter Olympics? Uh, a bunch of it. Yeah. So did you happen to watch the women's super G? I didn't. Oh dude, this is going to blow your mind. Okay. So Lindsay Vaughn obviously was the favorite, right? She got eliminated in the first round, the first heat, and she was out. And so then it was like open game for everybody, right? So you fast forward to the end of all of these heats, and all of these women have jammed down the mountain, and out on top comes this woman from Austria, and she wins the gold medal, and she's standing down there celebrating, and people are giving her a hug. But up on the top of the mountain is one last competitor a woman from the Czech Republic who is in who's been like in 19th or 26th place and has got zero chance of winning the gold what does she do wins the gold how she beat the woman's time by like less than a tenth of a second really okay? she competed she she never i wear this this bracelet 
on my wrist that says, go for the gold, never settle for silver. Okay. Right. And it has nothing to do with actually like going for the gold medal. It has to do with that moment, like giving it your best in that moment and, and forgetting about all the noise and the, and the chatter and being your best in that moment and whatever you're doing. And that's what she did. She's like, you know what? I'm in 19th place. I'm going to ski my best race. And boom, what happens? She displaces the gold medal winner and wins the gold. And you should see her face when she comes down in the bottom of that mountain and NBC's, she, she sees her time and NBC's got the camera on her face. Her jaw is just dropped. And she's like, <laughs> no, no, this, this isn't real. What, what happened? You know, I gotta watch it. Oh, I, I will, I will send you the link to the video. Okay. I have your email address. I'll send it to you. It's remarkable. You guys were married in 2008, right? In 2008. Yeah. And yeah. your, your dad officiated your wedding, I read. Yes. That must have been a really special moment, or a special relationship. Did you, have you always had a really solid relationship with your dad? What kind of a role did he play in your life? Oh, off the charts. Yeah, the best. What, what made him the best? Same thing as my mom. You know, My parents are still married. They've been married for 60 plus years. And... You know, look, they, they're from a different generation. They dedicated their entire life to their family. Mm -hmm. And everything was a sacrifice for their kids to have opportunities. And, you know, you, don't, you appreciate that a lot more as you get older and when you have kids. So, again, same thing. My dad, I remember how I was sick in college for my freshman year before finals. And my dad drove down to help me study. He's like, you know, we're going to... He's like... I'll just read the shit to you. You know, like you get, you drink your juice, your lemon juice and your tea, you know, like 103 fever. And he's like, we're going to go, we're going to knock this thing out. I mean, he was just always willing to do whatever. Did he ever, you know, a lot of times dads in particular, especially when it comes to their sons, want to know what they're doing or want to understand what they're doing and how they're going to achieve something and how they're going to, better, you know, better their lives, have a better life than they had for themselves, right? That's like, ultimately, I think every parent's goal is they want it better for their kids than they had it, right? Right. And so did you ever have a conversation? Did your dad ever talk to you about it or ask you the question like, what the hell do you do? What is your, what do you, what, what is an entrepreneur? Yes. He still asks me that question. <laughs> Describe oh. that conversation. No, he just says, what do you do all day? What do you do? And um, I just say, don't worry about it, Dad. <laughs> yeah, you're obviously I'm doing my okay. Yeah. My <laughs> How did that parenting style and influence they had over you shape what you believed you were capable of? Well, uh, my dad owned the plumbing supply house, and he worked uh, six and a half days a week, probably, mm -hmm. and uh, took me to work a lot. I, went, I remember going to work with my father a lot when I was a kid, and he would just give me assignments and pay me something for the day, like $2 or whatever. But he was always there. So he, like, he just had, he had great balance. But he, my parents gave me a really long leash. My mom had a cowbell. She would ring the cowbell at night. Like I would go outside and play. And when I heard the bell, I had to come home. That was like, I never watched. Like that was it. And uh, they just gave me a long leash to try anything. They never questioned anything. Hmm. If I wanted to be an artist, they'd be like, go try to be an artist. If I wanted to, you know, go to uh, take karate lessons, they would find a way to give me karate lessons. Mm -hmm. 
they just allow me to explore and try different things till I figured out what it is I liked, which I'm still trying to figure out. Dude, I love that. And actually, I, I, I had a question specifically about exploration. How have you gone about testing and exploring ideas? And what kind of a routine do you follow? So obviously, that foundation that your parents set for you kind of built up the skills and the ability to go explore and test. So how do you continue that? I mean, my formula has always been get your foot in the door and figure it out after. It's always been like, if you can't get your foot in the door, you're not going to get started. It's always been, don't wait for the right time. Don't wait till you have enough experience. Ready, fire, aim. Mm. Always been like that. It's like, you know, I started, I, my journey was very unconventional. I started out in the music business. I had no experience there. I, didn't, I had no connections. And it was like, let me figure out how to get my foot into one of these record labels and then I'll figure out the rest. <laughs> but the same thing with, then I went to private aviation and we had this idea for a private jet company. We had no airplanes. And it's pretty hard to start a jet company with no airplanes. We're like, well, we're going to do it anyway. So we had this idea and it was just like, let's keep going until we, again, it's like what we said in the very, very beginning of the, of the pod, like, what's the end of the movie look like? Mm-hmm. We're going to start this jet company. Mm-hmm. Now let's write the script. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the script could change. We might have revisions. We might have to rewrite it. We might have to rip it up. But at the end of the day, the end of the movie is the same. So that's always been my formula. Oh my I'm gonna gosh. Run yeah. miles. I'm going to run 100 miles. Okay, nonstop. Great. All right, Jesse, sign up for the race. Mm-hmm. I sign up for the race. Now I'm committed. I have an accountability partner. That's because I've, I've told everyone I'm going to go run this race. Now, how in the world am I going to finish this thing? Mm-hmm. And then you start the process. But the ends are already committed to the marathon. I've committed to the 100 miler. Now let me do the research around it, what it takes to finish it. Tell me about the phrase, remember tomorrow. Remember tomorrow is just like my, it's like, it's the two words that really impact my life the most because when I have to make a key decision, I say to myself, how will this decision make me feel tomorrow? So if I want to drop out of a race at mile 18, that critical split-second decision, do I sit down or I keep going? How will I feel tomorrow if I quit when people say, well, how'd the race go? Or how will I look myself in the mirror tomorrow? So remember tomorrow is just like a really powerful system that says, all right, you know, like, and I do it for everything, workouts. All right, I'm, do I want to go 90%, 100%? Like, how am I going to feel about myself after? Mm-hmm. Have you uh, always lived that way, or did, did that mantra come later? I mean, I'm uber. I've always been uber competitive, mm-hmm. and I've always kind of projected. My wife always says, like, she likes to see seven years in the head ahead. Mm-hmm. You know, like she can see into like seven years as far as products and with it trends, and and I think I have, I might be three years ahead. Mm-hmm. So I've always had a little bit of like thinking ahead of of the outcome. So that's kind of my version of. Mm-hmm. Remember tomorrow. I've always had a little bit of, I mean, definitely with like endurance races and stuff. I've definitely had like I don't want a DNF on my on my record. So I've always had like, how am I going to, you know, shit? If I don't finish this, that's never going to go away. It's going to say did not finish forever on the internet. I don't want that. Mm. So I, I've had a little bit of that. You should make a coin. I would buy that coin if you made a coin. You know, there's the Ryan Holiday has these coins that he makes for. 
about re- remember that you're going to die, basically, right? That we're all going to, it's in Latin. It's part of the daily stoic thing. Yeah. You should make a coin that says, remember tomorrow and just yeah. have that in your pocket, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm so aware of it. I don't even need And by the way, I love Ryan Holiday, but, and I, and I, I am also super aware of my own mortality. Mm-hmm. Very, very, very aware of my relationship with time. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I was thinking about getting it tattooed on my arm. Remember tomorrow. I love that. Now, might be a little bit more permanent than keeping yes. it in my pocket. I love what you just said about being very aware of your relationship with time. What do you mean by that? Elaborate. I think that most of us live our life forward. Oh, what are you guys doing this summer? What are you guys doing for Christmas? What are you guys doing next year? What's school? You know, I've kind of just. I've kind of realized I'm turning 50 this year. Not that that's super old, but it's definitely having more of an impact on me than I thought it was. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I'm like, holy shit, man. I'm going to be 80 in 30 years. I'm going to be 75 and 70. 70! How how is little Jesse going to be 70 (laughs) in 20 years? And when I think about that, I just climbed Mount Washington, which is uh, one of the toughest mountains to climb in the winter. And definitely in the U.S., maybe in the world, I don't know. But it was, it's, it's known, it's notorious for its weather. And when I got to the top of the summit, I was like, there's no 70-year-olds up here. I don't see any 70-year-olds climbing the mountain. Mm. I'm 50. So like, how many years do I have left to do the shit that I love to do? The average American lives to be 78. So if I'm average, I only have 28 years. When you reverse engineer that and you say, all right, let's say I am average. Well, my 70s are going to be a lot different than what I can do in my 50s and my 40s. So how many like really quality active years? I'm an outdoors guy. I love you know, physical endurance. How many years do I have left if I do live to be 78? And when you reverse engineer it, you, get to, you, have, you have a much different appreciation of who you want to spend your time with and how you want to, how you want to spend your time and who you want to spend your time with. Mm-hmm. Most people, like, they just flip the calendars. Like, they don't really create a lot of memories. They, they think in, in time. I think in moments, not time. Mm-hmm. How many mm-hmm. moments can I get this year? Mm-hmm. Because if I said to you, Mike, man, what, you know, what did you do May 7th? You'd probably be like, uh, I don't know. And I'd be like, okay, Mike, well, that was six days ago or whatever. Like you don't even remember. No one remembers what they did five or six days ago. If I, if you said to you right now, think back and tell me, tell me the major things that happened from today, starting today, and go back as many days as you can. You go like three days, and then you'd be like, I have no idea what I did five days. You just don't know. We flipped the calendar, and then before you know it, you're fifty, like me, and then you're like, well. Then you start saying, oh, I'm going to do it next year, next year. Like, there is no next year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Get your foot in the door and figure it out. It's the mm-hmm. same thing. Mm-hmm. It's like, start the process. Mm-hmm. So when I say I'm aware of my relationship with time, it comes down to urgency. Mm-hmm. Because, man, I'm getting, you know, the shit goes fast. Mm-hmm. And as a percentage of your life, as you get older, the percentage of your life less shrinks. Totally. You know, I think that the greatest, the number one lie that, we tell ourselves is that we have time. And the second lie that we tell ourselves is, is that we don't have enough time, right? So like we don't have enough time in the day to do something, right? Or in the week or in the month, but that's a lie, you know? The, rea- the reality is, is that we don't know how much time we have. Like 
You know, there's this wonderful exercise that one of my friends taught me, and we all have the same 168 hours in a week. And take your your calendar out and figure out how you're spending your time. You know, we spend about 50, 50 plus hours sleeping, right? So now you have, you know, 160, give or take, hours left in that week. What are you going to do with it? You know, and, and when I did that exercise for myself, I was like, oh my gosh, I have so much time to, to achieve my dreams, even in the midst of the daily grind and things that I need to do. Right. And I think that we give up too easily on ourselves in that regard. Yeah. Well, you know, when I ran, I ran this hundred mile run and I realized that you can get so much done in 24 hours if you keep moving. People are like, well, how did you run the 100 miles? You know, well, it's like, I kept going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Over, and what happens is the reason why, you know, it's so doable is because 24 hours is a long time. Mm-hmm. It's a long time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't realize how much you can do in a day if you don't dilly dally. Mm-hmm. So, like, when you eliminate the stuff that's not moving the needle in either, I mean, for me, the categories that are important are, you know, my health my relationships, my finances, and things that like, you know, are important to me. If, if you eliminate things that aren't moving the needle in those four areas, you can get a lot more done. But when you focus on watching the Kardashians or, which is, which is fine, you want to, everyone has to relax, but I'm saying that's not going to move the needle. Right. So as you get laser focused on the things that actually move the needle, uh, you can get a lot done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, the, you're this adventurous, you're this busy guy, you're this competitive guy, you've lived with the Navy SEAL, you invited him into your house, and then you had this harebrained idea to go live with some monks. So what was going on in the brain of Jesse Itzler that made him say to himself, you know, I think it's a good idea that I check out for a couple of weeks and, and go move into a monastery and... <laughs> Live into live in live with some monks and be quiet. Well, I don't know if I said it was a good idea or not. <laughs> I thought it was an idea worth yeah. exploring. Well, I figured, you know, I did I did have a Navy SEAL come live with me and I wrote a book about it, Living with the SEAL. And I figured I had done the physical part. And now I wanted to really explore the spiritual side. And I I also wanted to build my life resume. I thought this would be an amazing experience that I could pull some nuggets from and apply to my modern, hectic, technology-driven, constant social media bombardment life. And I figured that I, to, to really reap the benefits, I'd have to go to a point where I, where I felt like I was breaking, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise it was just like, you can read about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, just go read a blog. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I wanted to like really experience it and get the takeaways and immerse myself in it. So that's sort of, I just told my wife, I want to give myself an adult timeout. I wanted to see what I missed the most and what I didn't miss out of my, you just mentioned 160 hours or whatever it is. If you were like, we're in isolation, what would you miss? And what wouldn't you miss? Mm -hmm. What did you discover? That you missed and didn't miss? Uh, well, obviously, I missed my, I knew I would miss my kids. And I mean, I insanely missed my, not only did I miss them, but like, miss not knowing what they were doing, not be able to communicate with them. 
there's just a lot of stuff I took for granted I missed mm-hmm. that I get every day. I just took for granted. So I, had a, I came back with a strong appreciation for that. But I also realized I went during the final, uh, during March Madness, I'm a big basketball fan. I realized that I did not miss any of the luxuries. Like I didn't miss any of the clothing in my closet. Mm-hmm. I'm always like, I didn't miss any of, any of the purchases that I made. I didn't miss my car. I didn't miss any of my possessions at all. Mm-hmm. Zero. Other than like my smoothies. I didn't miss watching the, the basketball games or the TV. I didn't miss feeling like, oh shit. I didn't hit like on my friend drinking a Corona on his, <laughs> on his family trip to Mexico. Like I didn't miss any of that. And I realized that I spent a lot of time on stuff that I didn't even really miss. Mm-hmm. So it helped me just kind of reprioritize things. This episode is brought to you by the Lawton Marketing Group, a full-service advertising and design agency specializing in websites, social media, apps, logos, and more. Based in Oklahoma, they work with clients across the nation from small businesses to large corporations and everything in between. You can find them right now on the web at www.lawtonmg.com or call them at 580-275-2063. Connect with them now for a complimentary competitive analysis of your website. Just tell them the impact entrepreneur told you to call. You said you missed your kids, right? How long, how many days in, or maybe it was a day or maybe it was only a few hours until you actually transitioned from like, oh my God, I really miss my kids. When I first got up there, they put me in my little, I was on a monastery with eight monks. Four of them had been there for 50 years. And I went, I went to my room. They called the rooms a cell on a monastery. The rooms are called a cell. So I go into my little cell. I call it a room. And I have a bed, I have a light, I have a little desk. Nothing on the walls, one window looking out over a cemetery. I go to, into my room, it's six o'clock at night. And one of the monks, Brother Christopher, who's like my kind of liaison there, comes in and says, uh, tomorrow morning, we're going to start with prayer, reflection, and meditation at 7.15 a.m. I said, okay. I said, what do I do between now and 7.15 a.m.? It's 6 p.m. <laughs> what do I do for the next 13 to 14 hours? And he looked at me and he said, very softly, you think. And I was like, okay. So he leaves. I'm in my room. And now I have, you know, go lock yourself in a room for an hour. Go yeah. put yourself in a closet for an hour and see how you feel. Like lock the door in a closet and sit there for an hour. So I go, I'm in my room and I'm like, there's nothing to do, nothing, no one to talk to. So I'm like, all right, well, let me try to meditate. I've taken a transcendental meditation, TM kind of crash course on very basic meditation. So I set my timer for 20 minutes as instructed. And I start to think, I start to meditate on this one word, my mantra. And I'm immediately getting bombarded with like thoughts, you know, like, what are my kids doing? What's going on in the, in, the, in the college basketball tournament? All this work I have to do. How do my parents? All this stuff. And after like, you know, a long time passed, I'm like, well, my timer didn't buzz. I must not have set my phone. So I'm like, well, let me reset my phone for 20 minutes. I'll just do it again. 
And I'm like, no, maybe I'm misinterpreting time. Let me, whatever, let me keep meditating, meditating, meditating. So I keep going on. And finally, I'm like, this is nuts. You know, I haven't, my timer didn't beep and I'm going to be here forever. And it's probably bedtime. So let me undo my timer. So I go and I open my eyes and I go to, to fix my timer. Three minutes and 27 seconds. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, holy shit. I'm here for 15 days. I can't even go three minutes. And I was like, am I that like overwhelmed with thought that I can't quiet my mind? And so I was in for, I realized like I wasn't in Kansas. Mm. This is like a real, like I'm, this is like, I gotta, I gotta, like, this isn't just like fun and games. I come home and say, oh, I went to a monastery. Mm-hmm. I gotta actually do it. Mm. So it was, I was in for a big shock. And I think, you know, one of the things I realized immediately was they take away all the decisions from you. So you wear one outfit. I never changed, basically. I took one shower. I ate whatever they gave me when they gave it to me. When they ring the bell, I go to the church. It's like all the decisions were taken away from me. So I realized, and I, all of a sudden, by like day five or day six, day seven, I had insane energy, not just energy to like physically, but mentally. I was like, it freed up all this space. And I realized that like, I only have a limited, we all have like a limited amount of energy. And once we're used up, we go to sleep. I've been using so much energy, mental energy for things that are irrelevant, that I was, it was stifling my creativity and my ability to make good decisions. I have lost my own intuition in a sense. Like the one thing we all have in common that we all have, our own biggest secret weapon is our gut instinct. It's our, that's our, that's the force. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. (laughs) And like the only way that you can really be in touch with your own intuition on a high level is to be alone, is to quiet the noise. Hmm. And I was never, like I, my form of being alone is running. I run every day for an hour, but that's it. After that, the arrows are flying, man. I'm, I'm under attack. Emails, dings, beeps, and buzzes, right? Mm-hmm. Phones dinging, this is beeping, this is buzzing, kids' appointments. And, you know, my wife's got 20 questions and this guy's got 20 questions. And, and like, you know, it's exhausting. And I read that like the average American makes 35 to 50,000 decisions a day. It's hard to be creative when you have to make that many decisions. But at the monastery, there's not, I grab my shirt. I'm not looking at a closet full of things and go, why am I going to wear the brace for impact hat today? Or why am I going to wear the? I grab my one shirt, the bell rings. They give me my, my porridge. I have my little oatmeal and I go on my merry way. Mm -hmm. And I had like, like by day seven, I was writing lists, organizing my life. I was like, I was putting, I I left there with such clarity. I was like, whoa, (laughs) crazy, man. What was the thing you got most clear on? I, it reinforced that I wanted to live my life by putting as many experiences on my plate as I could. Hmm. That was one thing that I got. You know, I, mean, I just loved the experience. At the end of it, when I left, I got in the car and my friend was driving me to the airport. And he's like, how do you feel? And I thought he was going to say, he thought I was going to say exhausted, you know, happy that like, you know, can't wait to go home, whatever. And my answer was proud. Like I felt proud that I stuck it out and I did it. And I 
it just gave, I think everybody has to do things, as many things as they can, or certainly a few a year that make you feel proud about yourself. Mm-hmm. You know? And those kind of experiences to me give you a little bit of an edge. It gives you like a little bit of an edge that you didn't have going in. You walk in the door one way and you walk out a different, a different person on mm-hmm. some level. Mm-hmm. And that never goes away. Mm-hmm. And that edge comes into play in meetings. It can come into play at mile 25 of the, of the, of the 26 mile marathon. But like, it's all for me, I need edge. I'm always looking for something mm-hmm. to like get me better or help me or, you know, help, have more patience with my kids or whatever. It comes down to like edge. Mm-hmm. What am I tapping into to, to like, either deal with something or get better or get more out of it or have some kind of achievement. And these experiences give you that. They give you a layer that you didn't have. Mm -hmm. I felt proud of myself. My takeaway wasn't like, oh, I'm going to meditate for an hour a day and this and that. It was like, I'm on the right path Mm -hmm. of like building my life resume, doing things that like when I'm 70, look back like, fuck, I live with the seal. I live with the monk. I ran this race. I climbed this mountain. I did this with my kids. I, you know, that's what I, that's for me. Not everyone's different, but that's mm-hmm. for me. That's what I want. I want to paint a, can- a life canvas that's like bright, colorful, has experiences. And by the way, my, most of those kind of things don't cost a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Mount Washington is free to climb. Mm-hmm. Marathons are a pair of sneakers and a $60 entry fee moments with your kid, whatever it is, mm-hmm. most of it is free. Mm-hmm. The stuff that's expensive is usually a headache. Mm-hmm. You check in the hotel, you're like, my, Oh man, uh, can you believe this? I'm paying all this money. The TV doesn't work, whatever. It's like, <laughs> like Everything that. is wrong. <laughs> right. So that's really, I mean, I got a lot of takeaways about myself, a lot of takeaways about things that I wanted to incorporate on my home life. But at the end of the day, I was, it was a reinforcing time to realize like, you know what? This is like, I want more of this. Mm-hmm. What's next? Mm-hmm. The, was this, so I, I'm, I'm assuming this was like a, like a Catholic monastery, Brother Christopher. Yes. Um, there's this great song. There's a, there's a monastery in Big Sur, California uh, that's run by, it's a hermitage by, run by these Camaldolese monks. Beautiful location. And um, there's this, this song, and it wasn't written by one of them, but it, it was introduced to me by one of them initially. And it's, it's called Take, Take Lord Receive. And the, the word is like, Take Lord Receive, my memory, my understanding, my entire will. And when you think about those guys that were in that monastery, what struck you the most about them and their dedication and their commitment and their presence and their spirituality and what did they teach you about faith? Wow. That's a really good question. Well, first of all, one thing that was so impressive with these, with, with all the, the monks was I couldn't believe, I still can't believe how much effort they put into each task, regardless how big or small it was. Everything they did was about quality, not quantity. It wasn't, there was no clock. So it wasn't like, Oh, I have to finish this because I have a million things on my to-do list. Let me knock this out so I can go to the next and knock it out. It was like, I'm done when, I'm, when it's done. And then I'm going to go to the next 
thing. And if it happens tomorrow, like, what do they care? They're not going anywhere. You know, it's like, they're going to be there for another 50 years. <laughs> so, I mean, like, if it was like, you know, sweeping the floor, it would be like sweeping the floor like your life depended on. Yeah. And task was like that. Washing the dishes. And I remember like washing the dishes. And I, that which was one of my jobs. And after a retreat that they had there, there were hundreds of dishes. And I was said to one of the brothers, I was like, man, I, I was like, wow, I have all these dishes to clean. And he was like, no, you don't. You just have the one that's in your hand. Oh, man. And I was like, whoa. And it's true. I'm always thinking about all the dishes on my plate. Focus on the one that's in your hand. Get that clean as best as you can. And then go to the next dish. And you keep going until all 150 dishes are done. But if you start thinking 150, you rush through them. You're scrambling. Your head's all over the place. And that was like, a you know, there's a lot of like things like that that popped up. So they had unwavering dedication to each other as a sense, as a community and unwavering dedication to their faith and to their responsibilities. And it was just, um, you know, that stuff is contagious. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When you did, did that impact your own understanding of your own experience with your own spiritual experience? I didn't go there with any expectations around spirituality or mm -hmm. religion. Definitely not religion. I, I went there really just open-minded just to experience them mm -hmm. as a different... Listen, you give up sex, you give up all your worldly possessions, you take a vow of, of poverty, and you go and you live with eight guys on 500 isolated acres. You're going you're to learn a lot from mm -hmm. people and you know you sacrifice all the upside of what we have mm -hmm. you know like you just said you, you know you go on trips you go you're in california the weather you're enjoying it i'm sure you guys go out you got your yeah. kids your kids are running races you're, you're doing all this stuff and they've given all that up mm -hmm. for what they think what's their calling but mm -hmm. they want to, they're doing what they love to do but you're going to learn from, you're going to learn a lot about commitment, discipline. Well, I was just thinking as you're talking, I'm like, well, shoot, he, he lived with the SEAL. Like, these are like the spiritual Navy SEALs, you know? Like, these guys yeah. are doing like Navy SEAL level work on a spiritual level. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you really just went to live with spiritual Navy SEALs. Let's just be right. honest. You know? No, you're 100% right. <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that, that this is still just percolating in you. I mean, just being around that or that for 15 days, I mean, it leaves a mark, just like David, living with David Goggins left a mark. You know, I mean, yeah. it's going to be forever. You're all, it's an experience, a moment that will last forever. To, to it's certain. a layer. It's a layer that, you know, that never, like I said, it never goes away. You know, uh, as we begin to, uh, to wrap up the, the conversation, I want to... Conclude with I, we have the three questions that, that I ask of every guest, but I have a couple more questions first, and, and I'm going to toss one to you right now so you can think about it, and then I'm going to ask another one. But the, the first is I want I want you to give people a call to action as it relates to their pursuit of greatness and, and realizing their potential. And if you were sitting across from me or anyone, the number one thing you would tell them to do. So so think about that for a second. But while your subconscious is thinking about that. I'm going to ask this question. If you could take away all your business, all your businesses, all your 
your your successes, but leave your family, you, Sarah, and the kids, and leave your closest friends, what would you want to go out and create? I would just I would create a community and together and we would just create we would have we would figure out how to make it fun. Mm-hmm. I love that. But that's what we would do. Mm-hmm. By the way, I've thought about doing shit like that. Those, <laughs> no, I'm serious. Those thoughts enter my head a lot. Well, I know. Didn't you just... You kind of did something on a small scale by renting an entire mountain or something I read. And, and it was actually a physical race, yeah. having people run up and down a hill. But still, I mean, that's taking a community. It's bringing everybody together. It's having fun in a semi-painful way. But yeah. you, but it, you have fun through shared suffering. I do CrossFit. And one of the reasons I love CrossFit, in addition to the feeling of, of accomplishing a really challenging workout at the end, but it's, it's, the, it's doing it with a community of people that are in the crap with you uh, and coming out on the other side with you. And some finish fast and some finish slow. But the point is that everybody finishes. Yeah. And that's yeah. fun. Absolutely. That's fun. Absolutely. So... A call to action. If you were to, to think about either whatever, whatever you want to talk about, whether it's slowing down and being present in the, in the way that you did with the monks or in sh- teaching yourself what you're capable of by putting yourselves in really challenging situations, like pretending you have a, a, a Navy SEAL over you or whatever, when you were, would sit across or you, you give talks all the time on this topic about potential what, what call to action do you want people to take right now? I would say the one thing I think, one easy thing to do is to, there's an old Japanese ritual called the Misogi. And the notion behind, behind the Misogi is you put one thing on your calendar that's so hard every year that the benefit of that challenge lasts the entire year. And I'm a big believer in bucket lists, but I'm a bigger believer in dropping the B and adding an F and having an effort list. And I would encourage everybody to put one thing on their calendar because those are the things that require preparation, maybe failure, hard work, you know, fear. But those are the things that, to me, make you feel most alive and give you the most, the most valuable lessons. Hmm. So for me, I think every year, if you can't look back and be like, in 2012, I did this. 13, I did this. 14, I did this. And they don't have to be physical. Mm-hmm. Go learn 10 national anthems. Go learn, take the piano, whatever it is. But it should be challenging enough that you reap the benefits of it because there's a struggle involved. Mm-hmm. You have to stick with it or whatever. So to me, that, that would be probably one of the things that I would call to action. I would be like, create your own fuck it list. Yes. Put some on it and, and go, yeah. I love that. I love that. I'm working on my first book right now. And that is... Uh... That has been a challenge and I'm determined to finish it. In the next 30, 40 days, it'll be my, my first draft will be done. Awesome. So the, the last three questions are, uh, the first is, if you could take any skill set that you currently possess, so any skill you currently have, and turn it into a superpower, so take it to the next level, what would that be? Oh, man. Maybe storytelling. It's not what, the answer. Yeah. What, what? No. Uh, what specifically? I, I think that's a really power. Like, I think that you can learn a lot yeah. through storytelling, 
And it's a skill that I have. I like to tell stories. I don't know mm-hmm. if I'm good or bad at it, but it's, a, you know, it's a skill. Mm-hmm. And uh, if I can make it a superpower, look, when you were a kid, you stories influenced your life. Mm-hmm. You probably watched some cartoon. I know it did for me. Yeah. Batman. I mean, it, it showed an air of creativity. It allowed me to dream. Mm-hmm. Dreaming is free. Yeah. And if you can inspire people to dream big through story, and you can influence them through story and they can remember. I remember very well through stories more than I do through facts or reading. So I would probably figure out a way to learn and teach through storytelling. Mm, I love that. The, the next question is, what are three lies that we tell ourselves and that prevent us from realizing our full potential? I don't know if there are three lies in particular that I could think of, but I could say that the number one reason we don't reach our potential is our own self-doubt and it's Mm -hmm. our own thoughts in our head. Mm -hmm. And I don't think there's necessarily three things. I think that we talk ourselves out of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. I think that if we can beat up self-doubt whenever and be aware of it when it comes into our head, we would all be more successful. Yes. And I think that I can't is probably a lie. Mm -hmm. I'm scared is probably the second lie. I mean, maybe you are, but Mm. once you realize, I think I can't is probably three times. I can't, I can't, I can't. Yeah. No, I love that. I love that. It's, it's, uh, I actually just posted on Instagram today. It's funny you say that because I posted on Instagram a progression of, I think I can, to, I know I can, to, I can, to, I did. You know, and it's all about like taking action. And I call every Friday. I've just started this new thing. It's Foolish Friday. So, you know, do something today that that would potentially make you look like a fool to yourself or to someone else like that's preventing you. Like if it's going to the gym and you're afraid of going to the gym because you might look like a fool because you're not in the best shape or you don't know how to use a piece of equipment, do it anyway. If you're afraid of writing a book because someone says you can't write, do it anyway. You know, I agree. Do something like that. So the last question, and this is the, this is a, a question I ask of everybody, but I'm putting a new twist on it. Okay, I was watching a documentary, and it was about the the Louvre in France, and you know, there's all these statues there, right? That are these beautiful sculptures that are a moment in time, right? And they're they're hundreds or thousands of years old in some cases, and and we're gonna you know fast forward in the future, there's gonna be variations of that. In our own life, of icons that that have impacted history or shaped history in some way, shape, or form, and so there's this book written by a guy named Clay Christensen out of Harvard, and the title of the book is "How Will You Measure Your Life?" And that's the question that I've asked people: is how will you measure your life? But the riff that I'm taking off of it is I want you to think about three moments that are that are encapsulated in a sculpture that you would want the world to see forever for as long as those sculptures exist and and are displayed so if, when you think about that question how will you measure your life what kind of sculptures would you want someone 100 years from now to shape to tell your story i would say probably the three well, how I would measure my life would be based on my experiences, 
again, goes back to my life resume and my relationship with people. I think that's my relationship with people and, and what I've been able to do. I think those are the two biggest ones. So my relationship with my kids, my friends, how I treat strangers, people in general. Um, that's sort of my, would be my scorecard. I think that if I have a statue and I really wanted to cap and capture two or three moments that sum me up in my life, man, I got a lot. I, I would say I've had a lot of really big moments, you know, and, and I've been very, very lucky and I'm aware of them when they happen. Mm-hmm. Some might not feel like they're big to other people, but they're big to me. I probably have the, the, the finish line of my, the three biggest moments for me that like really changed my life were the day I got my record deal. Cause I worked so hard. I had so much rejection. And then I got this deal. And I just remember that feeling of like, when the guy said, well, you got a deal finishing my hundred mile run, obviously the birth of my kids. I've had moments with my parents as they get older, full circle, like where They've had operations or stuff where I've had to like help them get dressed, put their pajamas on, do all that stuff. And those are powerful moments if you're aware of them. Mm-hmm. I don't know. They, they, wouldn't need, they wouldn't need more than three statues for me. They probably need <laughs> get like a little, a whole, a little park. <laughs> yes. I, I love I'd, it. Ask, I'd ask for like, uh, I'll write it in my will. I'll get like a little quarter of an acre. Yes. Out. It goes back to storytelling. I'll tell the story through statues. Yes, I love that, dude. That was that was awesome. That was awesome. Well, Jesse Itzler, thank you so much for joining us on the Impact Entrepreneur Show. It's been a blast, my friend. You ask great questions. These are like uh, they're going to make me think well beyond this. So I appreciate you having me. And uh, if our four kids all get together, if we go on a family trip together, we'll have to rent at, uh, like a little island or something. Dude, yeah, dude, we'll take over. We'll take That's over like Atlantis. A, yeah, we'll have to take over a whole like little county or something. Yeah, That's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, totally. Appreciate you having me. Yes, thanks, brother. Thank you to this week's guest and thank you for listening. If you missed any of the key points and highlights from my conversation, we've got you covered over at theimpactentrepreneur.net forward slash podcast for show notes to each and every episode. And while you are there, check out Flynn Wealth Strategies and Insurance Solutions. You can do that by visiting flynnwealthstrategies.com. The Lot Marketing Group and the Podcast Masters, we could not do this show without them and with all of their support. Now, until next time, go make an impact. Impact.